0: Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope in our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. Amen. Uh, Let's just take a moment to come before God in prayer. Uh, Dear Lord, to whom else can we go? You are the one that directs to eternal life through your words of scripture, by the work of your Holy Spirit. May we catch a glimpse of who who you are as we hear your word. May we do so as people that invited us to come and see the life that you bring. Amen. At this point, I invite you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 3, or better yet, If you have the bulletin, just to open it up, uh, John chapter 3 is printed off in there for you. Uh, We are going to be reading from the NIV uh, the 2011 translation, so it will look a little bit different than your pew Bibles. And you'll also note we got some little fill-in-the-blanks here. Um, it's not going to be too intense. All we're really doing here in filling out the blanks is, is practicing seeing some patterns that John is doing. Actually, it, instead of just regular kind of fill in the blanks, I want us to pay attention to whether it is above language or below language. So um, I'm just going to fill it with uh, a little um, image above. I have... What kind of represents wind, uh, the the spirit, the breath of God, um, that is going to represent this aboveness and below. That's a bad earth. uh, But that is going to be how I'll represent that as we work our way through the passage. Now, as we're working through the Gospel of John... Uh, We've noticed that John uses some of these words very intentionally as he goes along. And he repeats them over and over again. John wants to get this into our heads. We're going to focus in on the above and below. Because he wants to get it into our heads that we need life from above. When John says, light, spirit, heaven, glory when he uses those words he wants you to think above 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 each word communicates the same thing in john what is above is life from god is attached to this eternal life this everlasting quality to it aboveness is deeper and weightier in its substance things touched by the aboveness shine it lasts forever. What is above is able. It is able to live into the wholeness that it is made for. So when we think above, we see those squiggly lines, we are to think of flourishing, of abundance. John also wants to let us know that we are limited to belowness, that humanity is kind of characterized by this belowness. And belowness is characterized by these words, dark, flesh, and world. And these words, too, will show up. And when he says those words, he wants us thinking below, below, below. If above life is connection to the life of God, below is whatever is separated from that. There can be a temptation to associate some of these below words, dark, flesh, world, with sin. And that's not how John is using it here. For John, it's simply the opposite of life from above. If life from above is about being able to accomplish, is about being able to do what we need for life, life from below is about inability. You kind of note that. It is inability. It is not being able to grasp life. Instead of flourishing, it is decaying. Far from experiencing abundance, it is frustration in seeking this lasting life. So that's that's the theme that we're just going to be tracing a little bit as we read through John chapter three today. Now, to catch us up, uh, to say like, okay, how, how has this already been set up in the Gospel of John for us? Uh, we'll just remember how John chapter one ended. It ends with this picture of Jesus being the realization of um, a, a dream that shows up in Genesis. Jacob has, has this dream where heaven and earth are connected, where above and below are found in this meeting place. And that is then connected to Jesus, that Jesus is the one who is above and below coming together. The very next scene in John chapter 2, we have uh, Jesus turning water into wine, this sign of abundance. He is the one that brings this life that is associated with aboveness. Then the next part, so we looked at the, the water to wine last week, in between that, there's the scene at the temple itself. So Jesus is at the place where the God from above is meant to be dwelling, the very house that is meant to dwell, the pre- or meant for the dwelling of the presence of God, the place where above and below meet. Only the problem is, at Jesus' day, that temple hadn't been filled with the glory of God again. This is the second temple, and they are just waiting for God's presence to come. And Jesus announces that that. That's not the place where above and below are going to come together, that it's actually through him. And it's through his death and resurrection that we can experience this life of aboveness for him. And that's, that's where we are here. That's the setup for looking at John chapter 3 here. We're introduced right away to a person named Nicodemus. And I want us to understand, too, that Nicodemus represents belowness, ness uh, humanity, life from below. Jesus' words, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born from above, define the tone for our passage. And before reading, I just want to make a note, if you're following along in the bulletins, you'll see I put in brackets, from above, um, but I'll be reading the words again And that's because that word can be translated as either above or again. And I want to be emphasizing the above aspect of it. I think perhaps a better translation just holds both of them together, sounding something like, unless you are born all over again from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So as we read it, we'll think above where it shows up. Let's read God's word. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised by my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to start asking the question, um, What barriers might we put up into having God come into our life? What qualifications might we give to others in in belonging to a church? What potential barriers might we give ourselves? Do we have a a set view of of this is how Christians should act, how, how they ought to be in order for God to work through us? Do we have the sense of, I'm not good enough. I need to clean myself up before God can properly work in and through me. This sort of thing, these sorts of questions ought to be in our minds to understand what is going on in our passage. It shows up with the face of Nicodemus, this person who represents humanity. Nicodemus, at this point of story, is stuck in thinking that we need to do something in order to receive God's grace. You see, he's a Pharisee. He believes in God's grace, but sometimes their emphasis on their traditions prevented them from seeing how that grace actually comes to be for him. His religious tradition says that God will come back. He will come to the temple. But first, we need to get our act together. They they looked at the past and said, well, God left when we were living in disobedience. So we need to recover obedience so that God will come back. God really shows up once we start behaving properly. When Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, We can think of ourselves. Perhaps we can think of the Christian Reformed Church. We can think of any organized religion here. We can think of these temptations that we build in our humanity to add anything to God's grace, to try to deserve it, to try to earn it. We might think of a church for God to be working in it, We need to have certain things for God's grace and blessing, whether it's catechism classes or hymns or contemporary music or new programs or different mission programs. And Jesus comes in, and he gives a different story here. So how does this come about here? It begins with this man named Nicodemus who comes to God, or comes to Jesus and says, You are from God. And as he does so, we get a sense that he is limiting Jesus to the role of some sort of prophet. He's just someone that is sent from God. And hopefully, he's thinking, well, Jesus is going to get people to live into righteousness so that God will come back. And Jesus cuts right into this. He picks this out right away and says... Very truly I tell you. Now when Jesus says very truly I tell you, we pay attention. Uh, this shows up three times. Truly, truly I tell you. So we focus in on these words. Truly, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born from above. He confronts Nicodemus where he knows the issue lies. He says we need this Above way of living. As a Pharisee, he's expecting Jesus to usher in this faithfulness so that God can come back, and Jesus says, first, the first thing that needs to happen is actually this birth from above. Nicodemus, anything that starts from below is just going to stay below. All your efforts towards righteousness, they're going to end with your human-led efforts. We need to be born from above. Now, Nicodemus responds here with the way of a question. Uh, I don't think this is because Nicodemus is confused that he's totally misunderstanding Jesus. Uh, if you read uh, the... Uh, other gospels, you'll find that Jesus often responds to different questions or statements from other people with another question. This is just a way that the the religious people dialogued, the way that they made points. So Nicodemus asks a question, but he's also, in doing so, he's not playing dumb, he is making a statement, he's challenging Jesus, and he's pushing back against what Jesus had just said one of the clues that, Jesus, or that Nicodemus knows what's going on is that he starts with the question, how? If he was confused, you might expect him to start with the question, why? Why do we have to be born from above? But Nicodemus is a spiritually sensitive person. He knows the answer to why we need to be born from above. He knows all too well the need for some sort of second birth. As radical as Jesus' language is, Nicodemus is tracking with a sense of humanity needs something to happen. Nothing short of a second birth, one that is different from all this balowness that is being experienced. He needs something from above. But his question is not why, but how. He's saying, I am an old man. How can I be born all over again from above? His question from this angle is one that's actually quite heartbreaking and one that is all too familiar. It's worn on the hearts of many. I've heard this question asked in different ways. I'd love to change. I'd love to be different. If you you tell me I need to be born anew, I won't say why. The answer is plain and clear. Just how is that going to happen? I want to paraphrase Nicodemus like this. You're telling me what I already know. We all need to be born from above. Yes, but have you seen me? I am old. I am worn down with this below living. I try to forgive others, but it's exhausting. I try to live rightly, but I fail so often. I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I can't just turn on a swivel. These habits of sin are ingrained in my heart. They have sunken deep into my bones. How can I ascend to life from above when I am weighed down with all of this below stuff? Nicodemus is saying, I'm, I'm a man. I am belowness over here. When we hear Nicodemus through this lens, perhaps we can actually see that he is asking a question that we might ask of ourselves. How can someone be born when they are so set in their ways? It's a question that begs another question. Can we really change? Is change possible? Can someone soften their hearts after having it hardened for so long? Just tell me you've never asked this question of someone that you're angry with, whether it's a parent or a child or a friend. Tell me you've never asked the question of someone who has disappointed you. Is it even possible for them to change? Or should I just give up? Or or on a more personal note, this is something we can ask of ourselves. Do you ever hear Jesus saying, all you need to do is be born from above, and you want to respond with Nicodemus? I know, but how I'm trying my best here. Just how do I do this? I am flesh and bone. The closest to rebirth I can get is going back to my mother's womb. I can't be reborn of the flesh. I can't even do that. How am I supposed to be reborn from above? Jesus, I am well-worn in my ways. Aboveness is beyond me. So Jesus then responds. But again... Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Jesus changes the language here, but he preserves the meaning. Again, spirit is one of these above-type words. He's trying to make it a little bit more clear for Nicodemus. Now, by changing it from above or again to water and spirit towards Nicodemus is saying something that's actually quite clear that we might miss. You see, Nicodemus is not just any old Pharisee. In in verse 10, Jesus is going to call him the teacher of Israel. This is someone who is well-versed in scriptures. He is well-versed in this anticipation of God coming, so it is assumed that when he says, you shall be born of water and spirit, that there is a connection being made to scripture, and that scripture is one from Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. God is saying to all of Israel, I will sprinkle you clean with water. I will cleanse you from your impurities and your idols. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Jesus is all but quoting this for this teacher of the law. He's making him make these connections, this water that cleanses, the spirit that brings renewal. These things don't happen after we get our act together. It says right here, after the spirit is in us, then we are moved to follow our decrees. Then we follow God's law rightly. The next passage in Ezekiel, this is happening in Ezekiel chapter 36, and we can imagine he's thinking beyond this as, God's, um, as the, the teacher of Israel. He would have known more of what was attached to this passage. We have Ezekiel famously um, having this vision of prophesying in front of these dry bones. And as this this wind, as this breath comes out, as the spirit goes over these dry bones, they become animated, they become full of life. Verse 14 of chapter 37 of Ezekiel says, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. God's spirit is going to bring a new creation activity, this this new genesis, a new start, a second beginning, and they were waiting for that. And Jesus is saying, remember that story, remember the prophecies, remember what we are expecting. It is not if we behave rightly, then God will come into our dryness, into our decay, and bring it to life the story is the other way around. The Spirit needs to come first. And he spells this out for us a little bit as we continue here. He says, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. Life from below can only bring more belowness, but... The spirit gives birth to spirit. Above life gives birth to what is full of this abundant, eternal life. Essentially, if you want above life, if you want that kind of life, then stop trying to get the things through your efforts, through the things that you are doing. One pastor summarizes it this way he says, like generates like. Flesh can only do flesh. Human nature can only do more human nature. As creative as we are, we can only generate more flesh. Much of our frustration in Christian living comes from this verse right here. Much of the frustrations in Christian ministry comes from this verse. We're trying to replicate the life of the kingdom of God in the power of the flesh. I don't care how creative you are, what grades you have, how wealthy you are, you cannot produce on our own strength the kingdom of God. Flesh begets flesh. Spiritual life will never evolve from the flesh however creative we are. I say that with a reminder that later this week we will be doing our first gathering for the Flourishing Communities cohort. Whatever we are doing, it is not about getting ourselves riled up and seeing what sorts of things that we can do on our own strength, our own creativity, our own wealth, our own energy to try to produce the kingdom of God. If we come with this expectation, we'll just run into a wall limited by ourselves. What we need first is a recognition that the kingdom comes From the life that God brings. Flesh can only produce more flesh. And what's interesting here is the call is not that then we need to abandon the flesh and only look towards the Spirit. The call, as we follow John, is that what we need is Spirit to come and infuse this flesh with life. Flesh. Born from above, a new kind of birth. But Nicodemus is still stuck on this, and he's still stuck on this question of how. And we've missed a couple of these above. There's just showing that the theme of aboveness is one that Jesus is focused on in this section. Nicodemus responds, How can this be? And Jesus answers, you are Israel's teacher. You of all people should know how this happens. Didn't you just hear my Ezekiel quote? Remember the story of the dry bones? It wasn't because they were following the law properly. This new life is not going to fit into your neat and tidy categories, Nicodemus. Water and spirit renewal is coming, and it is coming from Jesus. Hearts of stone will be turned to flesh, water cleanses, and the spirit renews. Just come and see. Expand your vision of what this can mean. Just look at how Jesus unpacks this here in verse 13. He says, No one has ever gone into heaven... Except the one who came from heaven. This, this above aboveness life, no one can speak of this except for the Son of Man, except for me. I am the one from above that can bring this above life. And he illustrates this by going back to Scripture. He knows who is. He's dealing with. He's dealing with a teacher of the law, someone that's deeply familiar with God's word. So then he goes back this time to Numbers chapter 21. You can read it later. Uh, But for now, the important details are that it is a story that begins with people complaining to God. Their complaints um, are in the wilderness, and they're essentially beginning a mutiny They're throwing accusations towards God and towards Moses that signal they've had enough of them. It's time to pick a better leader. However, when venomous snakes come into the camp, they repent. They then come to Moses, this person that they were just rebelling against, and they say, Moses, can can you pray to God and see if he will rescue us? And Moses, despite just having gone through this, comes before God, and God, despite having these people just rejecting him, tells Moses to put a bronze snake on a pole. And when when this is raised, when it is put up, and people set their eyes on it, they are healed. It's sometimes commented that they get this new lease on life. It's almost like they are being born a second time there. And interestingly, it is on setting their eyes on what is above that has them being healed. He's telling Nicodemus again, God's grace can and will come in the midst of our rebellion. What is required, the how, involves lifting up our eyes and seeing what brings true healing. We can almost hear an echo of Jesus talking to his disciples, come and see. And that story, as we see here, is just a shadow of a deeper reality. It's a preview of what is to come. You know how God comes and gives life to his rebellious people? Well, that is exactly what is about to happen through the cross. Come and see and believe and receive life anew. Uh, We've talked about this already Uh, during Christmas. We looked at how glory and the cross were associated. That this moment of the cross is the highest point of the story of Jesus. There's a paradox there. There's something that doesn't seem to make sense. That the moment of the greatest humiliation, the lowest point, the most earthy, the most below, we can think this is the darkest This is a place of decay. This is death itself. What lower moment could be than the cross? Yet John describes this as the peak, the moment that we lift our eyes to. The moment where God's love is on display for us. What the world thinks lowest, God through Jesus makes highest. This is the event that he's pointing towards in the crucifixion when he says lifted up about the snake and makes that connection to the Son of Man being lifted up, he's talking about this new type of healing that comes through the cross. And he'll use lifted up two more times in connection to the cross, once again in John chapter 8 and another time in John chapter 12. He'll consistently point to this as an upward thing, as something that brings us life from above. We are called to be a people who are to believe in him and have eternal life. That is where this finishes here. And then he transitions to the most famous of verses in John and possibly the Bible. We remember that like this Numbers story about the snakes, God loves his people so much even though they rebel against him. John's phrasing is that God so loved the world. God loves this world in all of its belowness. God loves this thing that is trying to operate apart from him, this world that is moving towards death and decay a world that in the midst of their darkness is rebelling against God. God loves this world so much that he gives his one and only Son for the purpose of eternal life. And the opposite of this eternal life is the natural direction of things below. Things below decay. They perish This is the natural way of things. Life apart from God, this below way of life, is unable to grasp this eternal nature. Flesh can only give birth to more flesh. God isn't condemning the darkness here. It is already condemned. But God comes to save this world through becoming this place where above and below can finally meet. It is in and through Jesus that this eternal life can be found. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This Above focus transitions now to this below focus. This above comes down into what is below so that it can have that life. And and notice the, the scope of this. This is a global scope. John is saying this is not just about Israel. This is the whole story of the world, all peoples. We need the connection to the one who is life. This passage has been a key passage in understanding missions because it points towards the global scope of God's mission. God loved the whole of the world so much that he cannot just leave it to spiral in its own self-destructive patterns of death and decay. We are a people who are invited into the mission of God. And he calls us not as those shouting judgment, but pointing to others, saying that we are on the same boat, trying as much as we can. Flesh cannot give birth to anything but more flesh. We are stuck in this belowness, needing to point towards the one who brings true life the final verdict that our passage leaves us with is that the light has come into the world aboveness has come into this below place but the dark but people love darkness instead of the light and it finishes with more above language at the end John isn't um, bringing necessarily anything new. He's using the same images of above and below, but he's just bringing new words to it. He's trying to give us new image of light as what is um, a kind of associated with this above and below language. Now, some people, he says, prefer to live in this below life. Some people prefer the world, the flesh, and the darkness. And why? It's not because necessarily that they're just evil and they prefer doing evil all the time. It's suggested that they, they prefer the ambivalence. They prefer just not to see whether it is good or bad. They prefer the darkness. These things can't be seen in the dark. Maybe they've seen people marching around in the dark thinking that they are in the light, proclaiming false truths with sharp lines and thinking, I want nothing to do with that. If that is what life is about, then no thank you. Why deny this life from above? Maybe because they see that giving ourselves towards this is illuminating something. They've given themselves towards something before and they've seen it fail they've opened themselves to relationship and that relationship has fallen apart they know what rejection can feel like why come into the light into life from above if it offers a chance for someone to see the real you what if you won't be accepted or maybe you're afraid of what you'll see of yourself when you step into the light When you see how the Spirit is working in you, this light from above, what if it illuminates things in you you wish you didn't see? We like to see ourselves as good. Maybe we already deal with self-image issues. Could we even handle having more light shed on our faults, our incompleteness, our inability to grab hold of true life? There are many excuses there. And I'm sure you've heard them. You know people who have a fear of condemnation in some way. People who have felt condemned by the church. They have felt that life from above has simply come to heap shame on them. They wonder if this love could be for them in the midst of their mess. Yet in the core of the passage of Christian faith, we have Jesus saying that those who come to him, those who believe in him, get this life. People that see him as this meeting place of above and below, they will not be condemned. They will not be rejected, but embraced in his love. The only place of condemnation is rejecting Jesus as the one who brings this life. The one who later, in John chapter 14, verse 6, will say, I am the way, the truth and the life. Jesus is making an exclusive claim there. He is saying the only way to life is not through your efforts, not through the things that you are doing. You need to come to me. You will find that it is only in Jesus, not in a program, not in a tradition, nothing else can get us there. Even the things that we have in church, our teachings, our catechisms, our worship, they exist to point us towards Jesus, to life in him. And this is true especially in how we see ourselves as missional people. And I want to leave us with this image because I think it connects us well to John 3.16. I've used the image before of this missionary as not as a person who has it all figured out and comes just to explain people, you just got to do what I'm doing because I have everything mastered here. The appropriate image of the missionary is of a beggar telling fellow beggars where the bread is. It is people stuck in a world below, one of decay, a world where we know we need to be born anew, and it is saying this is where that life from above is found, the only one. It is an invitation to come and see to say, let me introduce you to the one who is life. So for our reflection, we might ask of ourselves, how are we directing people to the one who is life? Are we living in a way that can say, look at the nourishment that I have through Jesus? is your appeal towards Jesus one that is stemming from fear or from judgment or is it joyful invitation come and see join me in abiding in the one who is life as we reflect let's come before God in prayer dear lord Often we feel like Nicodemus. We see the call to be born all over again from above and we wonder if we can really change. At times we feel worn out. We've tried the programs, we've put our best effort forward and we find that flesh just gives birth to more flesh. In these moments may we be reminded of our need for you to set our eyes on you and the cross that we may be made new as we move forward, surrounded by things that will not last, things that will decay, point us towards the true life that is in you. May this affect a change in us, that we take on the very qualities of eternal life right here and now through the Spirit. May we be people that live in humble service of others, May the taste of eternal life take us out and point us towards others in how we have encountered it. May we be people who go to our friends, our family, our neighbors, and simply say, come and see. We pray this through your spirit working in us. And in the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.